Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. I will teach you another two words, Boker Tov. It means good morning. Boker Tov. Tov means good, Boker is morning. So Boker Tov, Mishpacha. Very good. Um, I just wanted to share uh, a little bit of uh, what's happening with the Messianic uh, believers in Israel, but when we sang the song, uh, God Smiling, this morning, I could actually, before we sang that song, I could see God really, really smiling this morning and being so happy because we were going to address something that is so dear to his heart, Israel. And it's not about us, John and I, it's about him and about what's on his heart. He loves Israel so much. And I, I want to say that Israel is growing so much in, in a, a believing a, a community, people like us, Messianic believers. I remember uh, going back to Israel in 88, we were just a few hundreds in Israel. But today, there are thousands of believers all over the land, hundreds of fellowships all over the land. They have programs for uh, youth, fantastic program for the youth. And what, is, what I like about it is that, uh, for example, in, in each city, they have programs for the youth, and it's all the fellowships, not only one fellowship has a special program, but the entire fellowships of one city, for example, Jerusalem, gather together on a weekly basis and they have a youth ministry. They make sure that they keep the youth uh, 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 taught well and, and preserve them in, in faith because it's so difficult, when, you, especially when you become a teenage, to stay close to God. But also they have a fantastic program pretty much every year for the soldiers to be. Um, what it's like to be a messianic believer in the army, how to keep your faith as a messianic believer in the army. And also, it's amazing to see so many soldiers believing in Yeshua in the army and being able to testify of their faith. So uh, we are really very much together. We have once a year a, a festival for uh, um, Shavuot. All the fellowships of the country, and as you can see, the country is very small, so it's easy to get together. Once a year, we have a big festival for Shavuot. The children have uh, singing, the, 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 the youth uh, present their art, their uh, drama, whatever they're good at. Uh, we all get together for one day, and we praise God together. The whole fellowship of the country is absolutely fantastic. I would really recommend for you to take a trip to Israel, but not only to sightseeing. Sightseeing, it's very important. As Larissa can tell you, I can see her big smile. It will change your life. Because when you go to Israel, you see the places that are written in the, in the Word, in, in the Bible, and you think, oh, I've read this somewhere. Oh, I, I didn't understand, but there it is. And you can literally, it's as if your Bible comes alive. And as you said, you hear some little kids say, Abba, Abba. And you, you, you realize, I've heard it, I've read it. And wow, it's amazing because you open your Bible there and it's alive. I've been to, to places in the caves where King David hid and, and we were sitting there, and it was amazing. You just sit there, and you're thinking, they were just here. 
I walked in, in the uh, Via Dolorosa in Jerusalem where Jesus walked with his cross. And you're thinking, wow, I'm just walking in his footsteps. You're going to the Sea of Galilee. Everywhere you see where Jesus walked, where the, uh, the first believers were, the, 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 the disciples were. It just makes your faith so alive that when you come back, you, you can't be the same. You can't read the Bible the same, exactly. You finally know, yes, I know what it means now. I've been there. But the, for, for the most part, I would encourage you to get involved with the society, with the believers. Get to know the believers in the land. Just don't sightsee, but go into the fellowships. Meet the people, introduce yourself, because they'll love that. If you come and say, I'm, I'm praying for you, I'm standing with you, I, I just want to come and get to know you. And when I was thinking about what to share briefly, because I don't want to cramp on John's time, but God gave me the, the picture of a father with two sons, his eldest, elder son, which is Israel, and his younger son, with his, which is the church. The church has been grafted into the family of God. So the church has been adopted. The Gentile have been adopted into the family. So here you have two brothers. But they kind of ignore each other a little bit. Um, and as, as a Gentile, uh, yes, we know about Israel. Yeah, we pray for Israel. It's a bit further. It's a bit somewhere else over there. Jewish people believing in God. I don't know. I've never heard. So I think that why God was so happy and he was smiling this morning is because God wants to unite the Jews, the Jewish and the Gentile as one family. We are one family. We, we, we know your culture. We've studied your culture. We've lived in, in the outside of the land. We know your culture. How much do you know our culture? How much do you know us as Messianic believers? What can we give you? We receive from you so much. I've been here for, I don't know, yeah, several years now. I've learned so much since I've been here. I've received from this church so much. I'm going back home on a different level. And my, my desire and my dream and God's dream is for us to embrace each other. And not ignore the elder brother anymore. Or not think the elder brother is far away somewhere. Or we can just pray at home for Israel, for the, for the Jewish people. But you don't really know. And if you get to know the culture, then you can understand why Yeshua used certain phrases. Like it's hard to be, to, to be a believer. Like, like a, a, cam, a, camel, a camel that gets into a, the eye of a needle. You don't know what it means exactly. But when you understand the culture... You realize, oh, that's what he meant. Uh, you, you finally understand things. Have a relationship with Messianic believers. Find out who they are. Uh, check online. There, there are so many uh, new uh, uh, programs on YouTube uh, made by young Messianic believers. It's fantastic information. You can get really blessed by that. And we can get blessed because we'll finally be one and not compete with each other. And also, I, I had another uh, uh, thought of Naomi and um, Ruth. 
Naomi and Ruth. And Ruth could have chosen to go back to her family. But she said, you know what? No, I'm going with you. Your God will be my God. And your land will be my land. Your people will be my people. So she really understood what it is to embrace the other, the other side of the family. And not only she understood, but she was blessed. If you remember what came out of her, she was blessed. She was really blessed. So if you do this, if you take this step of getting to know the Messianic believers, the, the, your brothers, you will be so, so blessed because you will touch God's heart. You will make God smile because he will think, finally, my family is united. Family, they, finally, they get to know each other. They love each other. They support each other. They're not pulling the blanket, one on this side and one on that side. We, we can't be uh, separated. We have to be together. I have something you need. You have something I need. And trust me, I've taken so much from this church. I've grown so much, even in my art. I've grown so much. I'm going to go back home and do it and take it on an entire new level, I'm going to be able to share what I've learned from here. Although when we left, I was kicking and screaming. I'm thinking, I don't want to leave Israel. Why are you taking me out of Israel? I don't want to leave Israel. But I've been in Israel without going out, just on a holiday, rarely out of Israel, for over, I don't know, 20 years. But I realized that I was a little bit stagnant. Like a little bit like the Dead Sea. I needed the flow. And you gave me the flow. The flow of the Holy Spirit. I felt the flow. So I received the flow from you. You can receive the flow from, from Israel. And understand this is God's heart. Not about us. Not about Messianic believers. But God's heart for us to be a family united. Amen? I said enough? Amen. Right, that's it. Thank you. <laughs> right, she got the, the easy part and she left me the hard part. Great. Okay, so the teaching today is about why Israel matters. And to know, to know why Israel matters, before we talk about Israel, let's talk about the Jewish people and who they are. Because sometimes we don't know. I do not want to declare what I think. I'm going to build a case for Israel just biblically, just based on Scripture. So you can see it, and I can see it, and we both can understand it's not, it's not about what I think, it's what Scripture actually says. Now, who are the Jewish people? Before we can pray for them and have a heart for them, we need to know who they are. Now, the Lord said something here in Genesis. He said, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give the whole land of Canaan, the land where you are now residing, to you and your descendants after you, as a permanent, everlasting possession. And I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, are, after you throughout all your generations. This is God's word to Abraham. This is what he actually said before Abraham was ever a multitude of people. He was just one man. But God actually gave him a, a, a word to him and to his family. And it's not just him. And when God speaks, he speaks generationally. In the West, we always think about individuals. You know, me and what am I going to do? When God sees families, he sees nations. 
And the thing about this, you have to understand that every nation in God, every nation has a destiny in God. Every nation, including this nation, they have a destiny in God. Israel had a destiny in God. And God intends to fulfill that destiny because his word is at stake. His word is at stake. What he says have to come to pass. So he's watching over his word to perform it. We, see, we say these scriptures you know, willy-nilly sometimes, but he's watching over his word that he spoke to Abraham and about his descendants now to make sure it comes to pass. So as we, as we move forward, this is the trek that Abraham took from the land of Ur all the way to Canaan. A long journey. Believe me, you don't want to walk this. Now we have public transportation, thank God. But you don't want to have to walk this. And this is the journey that Abraham actually took. So he came from the land of Ur. I found out something quite interesting that Abraham was not some, some man that God just plucked out of a country. I think I'll just pick you. He was actually a descendant of Shem. Do you know who Shem is? Noah's three sons, Ham, Shem, and Jephthah. Actually, Noah was a descendant of Shem. And Shem actually was from the, tri- it actually was the starting point of the people of God. And there's something very special about Shem as well, at least in, in Jewish tradition we teach, that Melchizedek was Shem. Actually, he was actually Shem. He was the high priest of God. And basically, Abraham went to his relative, really. When he gave tithes to, Shem, to Melchizedek, he was giving tithes to Shem. It's amazing. If you, look, if you, read, if you read, actually, in, in Scripture, you'll see that actually Shem and Abraham are actually relatives. Okay? So it's quite interesting. Okay, let's go. Next. I'll try to make it very quick. Okay. What does the Bible say about the Jewish people? Okay. Again, God is speaking, not John. Adonai, your God, is going to bring you into the land you will enter in order to take possession of it, and he will expel many nations ahead of you. Do not make any covenant with them, for you are a people set apart as holy to Adonai, your God. Adonai, your God, has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his own unique treasure. Adonai didn't set his heart on you or chose you because your number was more than any other people. On the contrary... You were the fewest of all people. Rather, it was because Adonai loved you and because he wanted to keep the oath which he has sworn to your ancestors. Then Adonai brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the land of life of slavery. From this, you can know that Adonai, your God, is indeed a God who is a faithful God, who keeps his covenant and extends grace to those who love him and to observe his misfoot. Misfoot means commands to a thousand generations. Therefore, you are to keep his, his commands, his laws, his rulings, which he gives to you this day, and obey them. This is what God had said in the very beginning, who they are. He's called you out to be a special people, a special treasure. Now, we've heard this term chosen people before. Who's actually heard the term chosen people? Okay. And to be chosen, you have to be chosen for something. Not just chosen. I chose you. What, what for? I've chosen you for something. And for Jews, when you say chosen people, it's like, oh, gosh, chosen can you show someone else? Because being chosen is not an easy task. You have a responsibility. What are you chosen for? It's not just to say, I'm chosen. I'm chosen. I'm special. No, actually, it's not about that. What are you chosen for? And now we're going to move forward about what what Israel was actually chosen for. Continue. Okay. Israel, the hub of the nations. Israel was chosen as a priest nation, as a benefit to bring bring, uh, descendants from Abraham. Throughout the Bible, God attempted to mold them into a priest nation who was to then proselyte the world. In this way, the entire world will have fellowship with God. God was not just singly concerned only with Israel, but sought to use them as a vessel to reach all mankind. And God's goal was to reach the entire world. 
This is an enduring goal and is repeated throughout the Bible. Israel was actually chosen to be a priest nation. Now we talk about being a priest. A priest is one who represents man to God and God to man. You need to have, a, as you said, an intercessor, an intercessor, someone who stands in the gap. And Israel was a nation called by God to stand in the gap for the rest of the nation, to be a priest, to pray to God for the rest of the nations. And God called them as a, as, as I said, as a holy nation with that responsibility. So when you say the word chosen people, always think chosen to be a priest nation, chosen to do something. We know something that God says in the New Covenant, that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Have you ever heard that? And we use that for ourselves. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. And we say that's true for us. But that's true for Israel as well. What God originally said concerning Israel has not changed. It is still his calling on Israel. And God is watching over his word, his words at stake. If Israel is no longer called by God to be a priest nation, and God says, you know what? I thought about it. I changed my mind. Then we, as believers, have no hope because God is a wishy-washy. Sometimes he says, okay. Sometimes he says, I changed my mind. So you never know where he's going to go. If Israel, if God is unfaithful to Israel, he can't be unfaithful to us. So his faithfulness to Israel gives us hope that he'll be faithful to us. This is very important. So we can't kick the country or the nation aside. He says in Exodus 19, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all, the earth, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. This is what Moses actually said to everyone, so they knew who they were. It's important to know who Israel is, because if you don't know who Israel actually is, why pray for them? What's the importance of Israel today? What's, the, what's important? Okay. okay. Why Israel matters? Well, a few little reasons. He who touches Israel touches the apple of my eye. If you like, you'd like me to touch the apple of your eye right in the middle there, if I would even go towards your eye, you'd be like, okay, don't touch me. It'd be very fidgety. So if you touch Israel, this is how, you know, people flinch when you get touched. This is how God feels. Okay, watch yourself. Watch yourself. Watch yourself. He also says, I will bless those that bless and curse those that curse you. It will be through you that all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Through you. Isn't that amazing? Through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So you're blessed today, and sometimes you have to understand, why am I blessed? I'm blessed because of someone's faithfulness. You, you talk about when you become a believer, someone was actually praying for me. This is why I'm a believer today. You just happen to be a believer. Someone in the past was actually on their knees praying for you. You don't know who they are. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Maybe it's a family member, maybe not. But you didn't know who they were. But someone was interceding for you. And one day, you had an encounter with the Lord. It didn't just happen by accident. So the same way, as you bless Israel, Israel is actually praying for you. And as they're praying for you, they're praying for the nations of the world as well. So if you look at every nation in the world, you have Jewish people. And sometimes you wonder, what are they doing in the, in the whole world? The fact that Jews are in, all, in the entire world is a proof that God exists. They are testimony. Because if you don't see Jewish people, I'll be worried. Because Jewish people is a testimony to the world that God actually exists. And you wonder why people are so anti-Jews sometimes and be anti-Semitic. It's because they're anti-God. But Jewish people are a testimony that God is real, that his word is true, that he is faithful, he will follow after his word, and their very presence in any country is a blessing. And the funny thing is, those 
However you treat the Jewish people in your nation depends on how, uh, the type of nation you'll have. Sometimes we think about why certain things happen in certain nations and why disaster after disaster happen, and you have to link that to how do they treat, treat the Jewish people in that nation? How do they treat them? It's very important to think about that. It doesn't happen accidentally. Okay. Thank you. Sorry if I'm going too fast, but I'm conscious of the time. Now let's talk about Jerusalem. Why does Jerusalem matter? It says in Second Chronicles, But I have chosen Jerusalem where my name will reside, and I have chosen David to be over my people Israel. Zechariah 2.12 says, The Lord has, will possess Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Psalms 132 says, For the Lord has chosen Zion, he has desired it for his habitation. You know, when I think, I have this picture there, and this picture there, I'm thinking, in all the Bible, show me one portion of scripture where Jesus wept over a city. Just one. He didn't weep for London. <laughs> he didn't weep for Bethlehem. He didn't weep for California. He wept for Jerusalem. Why did he do that? Jerusalem is very, very significant. Because if you notice, the, the first high priest that we know about, Melchizedek, was actually residing in Jerusalem. This is where Abraham went to pay tithes. Now, Salem, if you look at the, the word Jerusalem, the, the back part of the word Salem, it actually means foundation, of a cornerstone, a foundation stone. So it is believed in Judaism that Jerusalem was the cornerstone of the earth. When God created the earth, Jerusalem was the cornerstone, the very starting point. This is why God chose Jerusalem. Jerusalem is not just any old city. It's very important to God. Funny enough, this is the place where our Messiah died, and your Messiah died, but it's also the place he will come back to again. He's not going to come back to California as sunny as it is. He's not going to come back to England as cold as it is. He will come back to Jerusalem. So it's very special to God, Jerusalem is. This is why he said, pray for the peace of? Why did you say that? It's very important to God. So we see when certain things are highlighted in Scripture and it's important to God, we have to think, why is it important? Why is he saying this? Should I take this seriously? Should, I, should it be important to me? We need to think about that. Now, we know that Israel didn't always obey, didn't always do what they had to do, so God, like a good father, has to discipline. Discipline is not a new concept, by the way. Israel was disciplined as well. Okay. So in Ezekiel, he talks about this. He said, Thus said the Lord God, I will gather you from... The peoples and assemble you out of the countries among which you have been scattered. And I will give you the land of Israel. When they come there, they will remove all the detestable things and all the abominations from it. And I will give them one heart and put one spirit within them. And I will take the heart of stone out of them and replace it with a heart of flesh. Ezekiel continued to say, The dust said, Lord, I'm trying to read from the top there. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act. But it's for my name's sake. Remember I told you before that when God speaks something, his word's at stake. If he doesn't follow his word, we are all in trouble. Because we are hanging on to make it because of what he promised us. So if his word doesn't actually hold true, we have no hope. So this is true for Israel. This is very true for Israel. If, he has, if they have no hope and what he said to them doesn't matter, then we all should be panicking right now. But the, the good news is what he said actually matters. He says there, um, uh, where am I? Okay, for your holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate my holiness and my great name, which have been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know 
without a doubt that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I prove myself holy, um, uh, holy among you in their sight. And God is actually speaking to Israel to the prophets and saying, despite how you've been badly behaved around the world, my name's at stake. And because of my holy name, I'm going to clean you up and I'm going to put you back into the land and I'm going to make sure that you fulfill your purpose and your destiny because my word's at stake. Okay? Your, your, your descendants were very faithful to me and maybe you were not faithful to me where you were in all over, the, all over the world. But I have spoken something and I will bring it to pass. And I want you to notice, I highlight the word I will here and it's very important because this is what God said he will do. Okay? He says... For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries and bring you into your own land. Number one. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Point two. I will cleanse you from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. Number three. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Again. And I will remove your heart of stone, heart of stone from your, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Again. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues. And, and you will keep my ordinance and my commands. You notice the you comes at the end. God will do all these things concerning Israel. And what Israel have to do is to obey them, to obey his laws, to, do what he's, to be obedient. Like we have too. Our salvation is based on what God has done, not what we have done. And the same thing applies here. And I, I, read, I read the scripture because now Israel has been restored back to his land. He's been restored. And God said, when, when I restore you back to your land, this is what I'm going to do to you. Now, we know that even though God speaks some things, God wants his people to pray them into existence. It doesn't just happen. It's like God gives you a word, and you have to labor over that word, pray over that word, intercede fast and pray over that word, and really fight for that word and contend for the word of God. And God has spoken these promises to Israel, and he's depending upon the believers to believe in his name, to pray this into existence. Now, God has been faithful so far. He has actually brought Israel and brought the Jews back into the land of Israel. 1948. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. He's done that. And he said, and then, once I brought you back, I will sprinkle clean water on you and clean, and clean you up. God's in the process of doing that. As Annie said before, in the beginning, it had maybe about a handful of believers in the land. Now there's over 20,000. Okay. And systematically, that comes from people praying and supporting Israel and praying for the Jewish believers in Israel. Okay? He will clean them up, remove all their uncleanness and all their idols that they brought from the, from the lands that they came from. He will give them a new heart. Only God can do this. Like he gives to all of us a new heart. He will put his spirit within us. Is God's spirit inside of you? He wants to put the spirit inside of them as well. He removed their heart of stone, that rebellious nature, and give them a heart of flesh. He will cause them to walk in his statutes. The reason why we walk in God's obedience now is because the Spirit of God is inside of us. If we had not the Spirit of God, we'd be just as rebellious, just as disobedient. So the same way thing applies to Israel. Okay? Israel needs your support to pray for them. To pray that they come into the kingdom. To pray that God's word. And you can quote God on this. Say, God, you said. You said you will do this. When you pray for Israel, God, you said you will do this. And now we're counting on you to do this. To bring your word to pass. Amen? He said at the end, you will live in the land that I give to your fathers and you will be my people and I'll be your God. That doesn't sound like God has given up on Israel. It doesn't sound at all. So we, as God's people, cannot give up on Israel either. Because if God hasn't given up on them, how can we? 
if it's what God, it's what God says, how can we, we have a responsibility not to give up on Israel because he has not. Amen? Okay. Next one. How will Israel fulfill our destiny? Now, this is sad, but it's also a good thing. Now, everyone knows about the Holocaust, right? Everyone knows about the Holocaust, and it's a sad story, and we all know about this. But I see this prophecy as a prophecy of the Holocaust. When God asked the prophet, can these dry bones live? Can they actually live? Look at them. They're completely nothing. And this is what they try to do. Just destroy the Jewish nation, kill the Jews. We know this actually happened. But he said to the prophet, he gave the prophet hope. He said, son of man, he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And of course the prophet said, I have no clue. You know, you're asking me, but you know, Lord. He said, but I will, again, I will put breath in you so that you may come alive and you will know that I am the Lord. Then he said to me, prophesy to the, the O breath, son of man, and say to the breath, thus said the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain. And they shall, sorry, and so that they may live. And they, and they come, and they came to life and stood up on their feet as an exceeding great army. Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. God was very clear who he was speaking about. The house of Israel, when they were decimated in the Holocaust and with nothing. And they thought, there's nobody can rise again. How many millions died? If you, if you saw pictures and videos of the camps and how they looked, they were just basically skin and bone, just about. But the prophet had hope, and God gave hope to the prophet. He said, these bones, these bones that you, don't, that you believe can't live, are the entire house of Israel. But here's what I'm going to do. The Lord said, I will open the graves and make you come out of your graves, my people. I will bring you back to your homeland. Isn't that amazing? 1948, I will bring you back. Then you will know with confidence that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and made you come up out of your graves, my people. And I will put my spirit in you. And you will come to life, and I will place you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord, have spoken it, and fulfilled it. Scripture speaks for itself. We don't need to try to battle. The Scripture speaks for itself, what God will do. And he has done that. So basically, we have really confidence in the God we serve. Because he's been so faithful to his word. And think how long this prophecy was that Ezekiel got this prophecy. And God actually saw the beginning from the middle to the end and spoke of Israel. Amen? Okay. Okay. This new covenant promise taken from Jeremiah. Again, I want scripture to speak for itself. He said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after, after, that, after, sorry, after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind. And write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. You know, this is very important. We quote the scripture as um, the new birth, talking about the new birth, and God is going to come and give us a new covenant. And we claim, a lot of Gentiles claim this for themselves, and they should. But who was actually God speaking to here when he gave this new covenant? He was speaking to Israel. He was telling Israel he will do this. So obviously, he was speaking to them, and he was saying, I'm going to do this for you. And when I do this for you, you are to take this to the rest of the world. This is your job. Remember when Jesus said, you know, you will start off in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, other parts of the world. Who was he speaking to? The Jews. This was their job. They have a, they're called to do something. 
I brought salvation to you. I explained to you the new birth. Now you have to take it to the nations. And we are all a beneficiary of their faithfulness to do that. We all champion Paul. We champion all the apostles, what they did. But we got all that from the Jewish people and the fact that they have been very faithful. Matthew 15 says, I will sorry, I was commissioned by God and sent uh, only to the lost sheep of Israel. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises? Whose are the fathers and of, so, and of whom are concerned the flesh Christ Jesus came, who is over all, God be blessed forever. Amen. To the Jews were given the covenant and the adoption and the glory and the service of God. And the purpose of that as a called nation was to be a priest nation to give to the rest of the world. We owe Israel a debt, is what I'm saying. We owe Israel a debt. We can enjoy our salvation, and we should, because Yeshua has brought us, Jesus has brought us salvation. But it's due to the faithfulness of people years ago to God, why we can bask in what we have now. And it's like, as, as Annie said, you know, when you have, a, a, she didn't mention it fully, but she, she gave me an analogy this morning on the way here, and I thought it was fantastic. And when you have a married couple, to, and they both have kids, and, one, and as they get married, you know, and now it's a nice little family, and what if the wife decides, you know what, I don't like my husband's child. I'm going to treat my child with favoritism because we're in the family now. We have a child together. But the child that was born before my child is kind of at the side. In a way, is how the church sometimes treats Israel. We are married in one family, but Israel as the older brother is sort of kicked outside. You know, you treat them differently because like a child from the other marriage type of thing. And it's how we treat Israel sometimes. We have to check ourselves. Do we treat Israel that way? Do we cast them aside as if she doesn't matter anymore and she was actually the older brother? Should we treat our older brother that way? And I think God says no. Do you agree with God says no? God says no. Amen. Okay, next one. Okay, pray for Israel. What does the Bible say about praying for the Jewish people? The Lord has not rejected his people Israel, taken from Romans. It's not an Old Testament scripture. In fact, it's New Testament, just in case people say, oh, that's Old Testament. This is New Testament. And still plans and desires for them to be a nation of priests for the nations. Romans 11 to 9. But they can only fulfill their calling if they are born again in Yeshua and filled with the Holy Spirit of God. This has to happen. It's happening now. And God is beginning to restore Israel again. The first disciples and followers of Jesus were all Jews. For us, we're thinking, it seems odd, but actually all the followers of Jesus were actually Jews for many years before Gentiles started coming in. So now the Gentiles are fill the church, we can't forget the Jews because what we know comes from them. What we understand of our faith comes from them. It's very important that we respect what God has done and we bless them as much as we can. It's very important that we do that. Okay. The Lord has commissioned the Gentiles to pray for the Jewish people. And these are many different scriptures. Psalms 122.6 says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love you. Do we want to prosper? We talk about prosperity all the time. Sometimes the prosperity are linked to how we treat Israel. How we treat the Jews. Okay? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper in every area of life that love you. So if we don't love Jerusalem, we need to wonder. 
It says that for Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not keep quiet, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning light. He said, don't keep silent. Don't stop praying. Don't stop calling upon my name. Don't stop asking me to fulfill my word concerning Israel. Don't stop doing it. It's a call to us to pray, always. Next. Thank you. Why pray for Israel? Brothers, we all respect Paul and believe that Paul was definitely writing for God and wrote by the Spirit of God. We all can say Paul did that. He said, brothers, my heart desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. If we think Paul was kind of right, maybe. (laughs) You think he's kind of right or he knows what he's talking about? He prayed and he continued to pray. And he wants us to pray. My prayer, he says, is that all Israel be saved. This is my heart's desire. And it should be yours as well, that all Israel be saved. I have posted as watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem. They shall never be silent day and night. As my brother sang that song, watchmen on the wall, watchmen on the wall. I have posted, God said, I have posted watchmen on the wall of Jerusalem that should not keep silent day and night. Who does he think he's talking about? You and I. Watchmen on the wall. Always. This is part of our duty. Amen? Why pray for Jewish people? Well, there's a couple of reasons why. God has not finished with Israel. I'm not going to read all the scriptures, but the ones in blue highlighted. Number one, God has not finished with Israel. The church has a continuing dependence upon the past, present, and future of Israel. We're dependent. We are dependent on the past, present, and future of Israel. You will be blessed if you bless the Jewish people. It is your duty to help the Jewish people. And these are all the scriptures I, will, I can give this to you if you want at the end. The Gentiles have benefited from the Jewish people's fall. From their not receiving their visitation, the Gentiles have received so much. And as Annie was saying today, we took so much. We have gotten so much from being a part of this fellowship. We want to take that back. But we also want to give you something. Okay? I certainly believe that God has something in mind. And I'll show it to you at the end. He said, God loves Israel. If we have his love and his spirit, we should too. Because if God, who we worship, who we serve, loves Israel, how could we not? It seems impossible. Could we not love Israel if he loves Israel? Okay? Continue. Okay. This is God's plan. We are in this together. Like it or not. We are in this together. In Messiah Yeshua, former Gentiles share citizenship in Israel. And thus the two are called one new man. Jew and Gentile, through the cross, is now one new man. We are tied together, whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you appreciate it or not, we are tied together. We are dependent on each other to survive. The Jews have so much to give to the church, and the church has so much to give to the Jews. And God wants us to be one new man. He was very clear about that. He's not mixing words. He's not saying, I don't, I'm not sure. He insists on it. We are to be one new man. And to be one new man, we have to be tied together praying for each other, supporting each other, loving each other, and championing what God is doing in each other's lives. It's very important. Why pray for Israel? Because we're joined together. Amen? Jews and Gentiles together. Paul's warning, as I said to you now, to the church, coming to the end soon. Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. So he's very clear who he's speaking to. Inasmuch then as I'm apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my office in order that somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous. And thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? 
And a life from the dead actually means life from the dead for the world. Because if when the Jews rejected their Messiah, the Gentiles got so much riches, think of how, I can't even begin the multiplying, when Jews come to faith, how much they can bless the world even more. They bless the world so much, not even knowing the Messiah. If they knew the Messiah, you know how much inventions and stuff they can bring out to the world? They're doing so much now without the Messiah. If they knew the Messiah, they will be so blessed you would out of this world. So we need them to be saved because our blessings are tied up with them. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, speaking of Israel, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, speaking of Shem, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 12 sons of Jacob, and so forth, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot was grafted in among the other among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. This is not John speaking. This is beloved Paul, your favorite writer, the new covenant saying to you. Okay? Do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root Support you. Paul speaking. So you can see way back then, the Spirit of God gave Paul this to write when there was none of this happening. He knew that the church would get to a point where they might be like, well, we don't really need them. We're self-sufficient. We got the Holy Ghost. We don't need the Jews. They're them and we're us and so forth. And he said, don't even begin to think it. He didn't write this last week. Okay. A long time ago. So the Holy Spirit knew this will come. So he's warning the church. Then you, say, you will say, well, the branches were cut off so that I might be grafted in. He said, that's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast to faith. So do not be proud. Arrogant, proud. Warning. But stand in awe. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you. Provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. If we neglect Israel, you too risk being cut off. I am very sure that how we treat the Jewish people in Israel has a bearing on our lives here. How we live. How if we ignore them, sideline them, treat them as nothing, okay? What it means is treating Israel as if they don't exist. Because God said something about Israel. God's, uh, Israel is God's firstborn. And as God's firstborn, they have a special place in God's agenda and God's purposes. And God intends to fulfill that. So you give a warning there. You too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted back in. For God has the power to graft them in again. Praise the Lord. That's what he's doing now. He has the power to graft them back again. Annie and I and others are proof of that. For if you were cut, if you were cut from what by, by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into the cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own tree? It's easy for God to graft the natural branches back. Very easy. Okay? So this is a warning from Paul to the church. 
we can't neglect Israel. I'm making a case for Israel. I hope you're getting the case. Because the scripture is clear. I'm not saying any of this myself. This is what the scripture is saying. And I wanted you to see it for yourself in case you didn't know. So now you know. And you have a responsibility now you know. Thank you, brother. Okay. It's chatting. Okay. This is how God sees the world. Israel, the center, cornerstone, and the world spreading out. Because God said, take this word, take this faith in Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. We are now living in the uttermost parts of the world. And we believe in Yeshua, believe in Jesus, because of their faithfulness to take the gospel message out. So even more so now, we need to give something back to Israel. Because we thank God for salvation every day, don't we? We praise God for salvation, and sometimes we forget where it comes from. Because of the faithfulness of so many men and women in the past, faithfulness to God, when God said, I called you as a nation to be a priest nation to the world, and they said, yes, Lord, I'll do it. And they were faithful all the way, and God's word came to pass. He is doing it now. So Israel is actually the center point, the cornerstone in the world. We can't neglect it. And funny enough, guess what you, where you'll all end up in the end? Have you read Revelations lately? Somehow it all started there, and all going to actually end there. So if you haven't gone to Israel now, you'll end up there anyway. So you may as well go and check out your real estate now. Pick your spot where you want to live. Go now before it gets too crowded, because Israel is quite small. But the <laughs> so go now and check out the real estate. But you'll end up there anyway, because when Yeshua comes back, we're all waiting to see the Lord crack the sky and come down in glory, and we can't wait for that. But he's not coming to touch down in Westminster. Okay? He's coming to touch down in Jerusalem, funny enough. So maybe you guys should think about, you know, relocating. Here's a hint. Okay, all right. And to see Jewish people praying at the Western Wall is actually a blessing. To see them actually crying out to God. Okay? No, sorry, you can go ahead. Now, what to pray? You say, now we know we should pray. Great. What to pray? Intercede for salvation for Israel and the Jewish people everywhere. For Israel to turn to the Lord so that the veil may be taken away from their spiritual blindness, and, to remove, and be removed based on the Lord's promise that all Israel will be saved. We need to pray for this. It doesn't just happen. We need to pray for this. Pray for us as we return to Israel to serve the Lord, and also pray for our son Natanel, because he has to serve in the Israeli army. This is one of the reasons why we need to go back. Could you see him actually serving as an ideal soldier? So pray for him, because he's slightly nervous. He's not here today, but he's slightly nervous about it. But he has to serve in the army. So pray for him as well. Pray for Israel and for people to fulfill her calling. You have a calling, and you love when we pray for you to fulfill your calling. Pray for Israel to fulfill her calling. God has not completed the job with Israel. He's not done with Israel. And he needs us to pray for Israel to fulfill her calling. Because her blessing blesses all of us. Her blessing, her coming to faith, her serving God the way she should, blesses the entire world. And it will definitely bless you. Pray for the Messianic believers to accept their identity as bridge builders. And that's what I feel like I'm doing today. I'm trying to build a bridge. Okay? Messianic believers are bridge builders. They want to link the church and the Jewish people into one new man. And to show where the links are and how to connect. And they are bridge builders. That's their, that's their position. Pray for the emergence of the one new man. God wants this. You should want it too. One new man. Pray to be one new man. One new man not with... I know you guys are friends and you're one together, but one new man with Jew and Gentile together. One new man. Pray for this. It's very important. Is that the last one? Okay. 
It's the last one. So I hope that I made a good case for Israel. And you understand the need to intercede for Israel, to pray for Israel. When we meet once a, once a month to pray for Israel, and we meet weekly on the Skype prayer, we intercede for Israel. And we have seen, you can ask uh, Abby, we've seen many things in and Margaret, many things answered because we've prayed. We've prayed for so many things and see so many things answered because we pray. And now we want to encourage you, whether you come to the meetings or not, in your own private time, take time to pray for Israel. Take time to remember who Israel is in the sight of God. And if Israel is special to God, it should be special to you. Don't neglect Israel. Don't push Israel aside. Don't forget that God's faithfulness to Israel shows that he's going to be faithful to you. His word is still true. Amen? So I hope I built a decent case. Amen? Thank you. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 